Welcome to the Real Top Podcast, where we meet with real top entrepreneurs from around the globe to discuss what motivates them, who inspired them, and so much more. Here's your host, Nick Zucalis. Hey, hey, Real Top Nation, we've got another truly real top entrepreneur on the show today. If you've ever met this guy in any capacity, you'll quickly realize he does not settle, he goes big or goes home and fits the very definition of what Real Top is all about. Dominate, dominate, dominate. Welcome to the Real Top Podcast. My name is Nikita Tsukalis, and in today's episode, we will be spending some time with a good friend of mine, fellow entrepreneur, Fiaz Ashraf. Fiaz is the CEO of Debt Compare, uh, one of the UK's fastest growing private companies, as well as a serial entrepreneur, real estate expert, and investor. Fiaz, uh, say what's up to the Real Top Nation and start us off by answering the following question. What's going on in your world right now? Hey, Nick. Always nice to see you Always and nice uh, ca- catch up with you. Um, yeah, just we're just living life, aren't we? We're going through this pandemic at the moment and doing what we can. Um, the industry I'm in, you know, there's people that are in real need of help at the moment and yeah you know on one hand business is good on the other hand you know i feel for for everyone out there which is struggling with this uh yes one of the goals with real top is to help newer sometimes younger entrepreneurs engineer the right habits the right mindset needed to get ahead mm-hmm. and, and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls uh, that you and I have had throughout our journey, right? And I, I really think you can help. So with that said, let's let's rock and roll. I'm going to ask you a few questions here. So mm-hmm. the first of which is I love to dive into habits. Okay. Ideally, okay. what do the first couple of hours of your day look like? First couple of hours, I would say, I'm normally up around about, say, 6.30, 7 a.m., um the kids wake me up um get a cup of coffee have a cigarette you know get ready for the day take a shower and that type of thing really just just the normal thing that you that anyone else would do you have a family you have a built-in alarm clock with the kids how many kids i've got two boys two boys Boys. and uh yeah and uh, they're a handful but they're good. They keep me up. They keep me going. You know, strong. Um, that's one of they're one of my biggest motivation in life is to you know get ready for them and, and growing up and teaching them. See, I've always been taught and understand that the first seven years is you love them, then the seven years after that you teach them, and then the seven years after that and beyond you love them again. So I'm at the phase now with one of them where I'm starting to teach him. And it's a little bit of a shock to his system because I'm not spoiling him as, as I used to. Um, the other one is, is six now. He's got a year of loving left until he starts getting into the training ground. So, yeah, so we're doing what we're doing. How do you, and, how do you train them? Well, what, are some of the, what are some examples of how you're you know, putting through the fire? My eldest son, who's eight years old, I take him, you know, after his study and I'll take him to work with me. He'll, he'll sit with me in meetings as well and observe and and i know he's he's very young and you know keeping his attention is is tough but i'm just letting him know what the real world is like Uh, it's very easy to you know to daddy can i have this daddy can i have that and i want him to understand the value of of how lucky he is and that there's you know there's children out there that that don't have anything and don't have the sort of privileges that he has so i need him to really keep keep his feet on the ground and understand that you have to work hard and and nothing comes nothing grows off a tree you have to go and plant the tree and and water it and and give it that tlc that it's needed in order to get reap the reward rewards later so it's that type of thing really you know understanding the value of life did your dad take you through this uh this this three-phase approach a bit when you were a kid? He did, yeah, he did. He took me through that. I mean, from a very young age, probably from around about 10 years old, I used to go to work with my, with my father. He, uh, he was in um, the market trade, so he used to sell ladies' fashion. Oh. 
And um, so all my school holidays, all my weekends, I used to have to, it wasn't a choice. I had to go and, and stand on that market store, you know, and stand in the shop and serve customers and that type of thing. And, you know, it was a real good training ground for me growing up uh, with my, my father, my uncles, um, the hustle and bustle of a market and these type of things. And, you know, it, it, it taught me, taught me a lot. Great a little context. He has for the listeners, especially some in the United States that maybe don't understand what a market is. You know, we, we think market and we think a grocery store. We don't even really get it. What, what, what did that look like? Uh, what is a marketplace like this? Is it a, is this a department store, a wholesale? What did that look like? No, so, so in the UK, a market store is you can get indoor and outdoor market stores. So it's something that you would make yourself. So with like scaffolding poles and stuff like that, then you put your sheets around it. So the water doesn't hit your garments, then you have to load it. So it's like an outdoor sort of shopping center. Like a bazaar, um, would you say? Like a bazaar, yeah, is, is exactly what it is. Yeah, it's a bazaar. So we did outdoor Sunday mornings, waking up 4.30 a.m. Wow. Um, just to get to the place so you can get the right spot. And because it's first come, first serve and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Did you um, did you experience at a very young age uh, negotiation? Was there a lot of that uh, in the marketplace? Where a lot of upselling. Uh, there was a lot of upselling. So, for example, if somebody came and they picked some sort of top or jeans or something like that, you know, I'd need to upsell to her. I'd need to say, oh, you know, if she bought a pair of jeans or something, I'd say, well, this top would look very nice with these jeans. Uh, why don't you go and try it? Why do you go and try it on? Oh, we've got a van here. You know, you can go in the back of the van and try it on. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so we, used, we used to do some mad things like that, yeah. But, yeah, wow. it's upselling, the, the upselling skill. You know, really? if you're coming for one, you can sell them something else. So at a very young age, you were taught how to get up early, get to work yeah. upsells yeah. you learn upsells at such a young age that's that's remarkable that's remarkable uh, next question uh yes what would you say as an entrepreneur right no one likes to answer this but what would you say is one of your weaknesses as, as an entrepreneur one of my weaknesses i would say It was a weakness, but then I learned how to, to deal with it. It was uh, the art of delegation. So I was very, as I was building my business and over the years, I was extremely hands-on and I wanted to be involved in everything. But then it consumes your mind. It, it puts you in a position where you can't, have you ever heard the saying you know, jack of all trades a master of none of course and this is exactly what, what it came to I mean I would I would employ somebody to manage a certain element or an area of my business and at that point I would then try and tell him what to do or her what to do and you know I'm paying these guys you know top salaries and they're experienced they're educated you know, more educated than I am or experienced than I am in that particular area. So I learned how to um, utilize the people around me and, and delegate and trust them. Uh, whilst obviously keeping my finger on the pulse, but also, you know, delegation was one of my weaknesses. I wasn't able to delegate, but now I learned how to do that and it's, and it's served me well. How did you learn how to do it? Did you hire a coach? Did you read up on it? How did it, how did it evolve? It, it was just, it came to a point with me where I couldn't, I was started to make mistakes um, and making the wrong decisions. And it was stuff like that, really, which made me realize that yeah, I can't remember a particular moment, but I'll give you an analogy, is yeah. that I would, I would go against the advice given to me by somebody that I employ to manage that particular area of my business. And my way was the wrong way, which ended up costing us money uh, or less efficient. 
So it was certain situations like that which made me realize that mm, I should have listened to him. And it was those sort of mistakes that I made which made me quickly realize that, yeah, I need to start listening to my people around me and, and trust their judgment a little bit. Yeah, what would you say is your biggest or a few of your biggest strengths? My biggest strength, I'm negotiation. I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't really like to blow my own trumpet and, and, and say things. Um, but I, I, th I feel like I'm in my element when I'm negotiating in all areas of my life. Uh, I feel that because I'm, I'm a firm believer that the money has to circulate. Everyone has to get paid. Um, the deal has to be right for everybody. So when I go into a negotiation battle, so to say, I understand what that person requires. I mean, there's no point negotiating something where someone's going to end up making a loss because you're never going to do the deal. But it's understanding what they would need and being able to negotiate what's best for you as well. Um, so negotiation, I would say, is one of my biggest strengths. What are some of the habits and skills you wish you had that you don't currently? Uh, sorry, say that again, Nick. What are some of the habits, uh, different habits and skills, uh, which uh, you wish you maybe had right now that you don't that or that you're that you're uh, that you're learning? The skills I would say is understanding the industry and the regulation in order to operate within that industry. Regulation being a massive factor. I mean, you without the license, you can't do you can't do things. And that's with, with whatever industry that you're in, if it's regulated. So it's understanding the regulation and understanding what other regulators that are out there, which then allow you to operate within certain areas and using that to your advantage. And, and for me, it was, I would say, is understanding the core regulator in the industry that you're in, what other regulators out there which could complement that industry that you're in, and then making that decision really of, of how to um, build your business model around that. I love these. I love these value bombs. Th this next question is is one of my uh, one of my favorites because it's one of those questions that you get to contradict the mainstream. So share something about becoming a successful entrepreneur that most people would disagree with. I would say um, one of the areas is is the industry that I'm in. I, mean, I help people with debt problems, and the debt problem, people would say, oh, you know, this guy. You know, he's made a ton of money based on people that are in debt. And there's charities out there that would help people that are in debt. Um, see, that would be probably what people would have a sort of a negative understanding on it. But what my reply to that would be is that, yes, there are, you know, charities out there that would help people, but these charities are paid by the creditors, they have to run somehow. So how the charities, you have to ask the question, ask this question is, you know, who are they working for here? Are they working in the best interest of the client or are they working in the best interest of the person or the entities that are paying them? And how, so, so, so yes, I have created a successful commercial company on the back of helping people with that but we help people with that they are number one to us they are our clients we will work in their best interest whereas a charity you have to ask the question you know is that why do commercial entities and non-profit organization non-profit organizations operate and and that would be what i would say people would talk negatively about it's an interesting point you know, the, the, some people have this perception in business that there's like a winner and a loser. Okay. Where if you've mm -hmm. ever, if you, you've studied the most successful people and, and listen, we're having this conversation right now, you find that the, 
the people that reach like these really uh, incredible heights in their business and their entrepreneurial journey, they have a different mentality where it's if you provide value for somebody um, uh-huh. enough of it, eventually um, that'll come that'll come back to you. Um, the more uh-huh. value you put out in, into the world, the more value will come back to you. There, there are no winners and losers. Everybody's winning along the way. And I think some people have that misconception that if someone is successful, there's a loser somewhere. Where actually, if you really look at the super successful, there's winners across the board. The client's winning, number one. Um, exactly. Negotiating with their winning. The entrepreneur's winning. The, the whole thing. There's just a lot of winning going on. The employees, the staff, there's something good and something beautiful about providing value to people. Now, Fiaz, I want to jump into the DeLorean a little bit, the DeLorean, the time machine. I want to go back into your days as a young, uh, as a young salesman working for your dad, right? Um, And, and and actually go, go through that journey a little bit more because I I find it interesting. Um, Your story is a a very interesting one. Take us as far back as you can go. Maybe this is before you were working for your dad. Uh, Where did you get the entrepreneurial bug? Like where did it, where did it start? Would you say? Okay. So the entrepreneurial spirit, I'm, this entrepreneurial spirit came when my father um, sold his business. Um, he went back to school. He was a mature student. He went to study law. Um, and he's a barrister today, which is a fantastic result. And he studied, I remember how, how hard he studied to get there. And as a mature student, you know, the gray matter isn't, isn't there anymore in the brain. And he did very well. How old, was he? A, How old a, would you say he was, Fierce? I think he was around about 38 to 40 years old when he decided to, to sell the business, yeah. And he went down, down that route and he went down that route and he's one of the top criminal barristers and immigration barristers in the UK today. So he did very well for himself and I'm very proud for him, proud of him. But then at that point, I was left in the real world. I mean, no more family business. Um, there was no more. So I had to go and fend for myself sort of thing. And, and that's where I really, um, I, I, picked, I remember one of my first jobs after that was washing cars for a, for a, a hand car wash company, which wasn't far from my house. And I, my friend of mine worked there and he called me and he said, look, they need a hand one day. So I went down and I, and I got the job. So I was washing someone's alloy wheels and stuff like that. And then I got promoted uh, within there to, I was able to then wash the actual car with the sponge. Oh, so wow. I was like, right, okay. So the promotion was there and... Um, Moving on up. And... Uh, yeah, and and, and because what happened was I dropped the sponge on the floor and because I, I, I didn't know what I was doing and I picked the sponge up and then I started washing the car again. <laughs> All the head is, oi! And the, the, the gaffer, the, the manager uh, ran over to me and goes, well, you just dropped the sponge on the floor and you're going to scratch his car. I go, oh, sorry, I didn't know. Anyway, I didn't last that job very long. Um, <laughs> not because of me, it's because I got sacked, I got fired. Um, and, and then I was out there and, and it, it come to a point where I thought, okay, you know what? I need to be a salesman. Sales is where my passion is. is, is where, my, you know, washing cars and things like that wasn't really for me. It wasn't my, I've not really ever been, you know, a, a laborer type of person. Um, so at that point I decided to go and get a job in, in a call center and, and from there I picked up real, you know, your, your telephone sales skills and I ended up, um, I was in the, with that company for about four years. I was selling gas, electric supply. I was selling telecommunications. I was selling mobile phone contracts and those sort of things. All cold calling, okay. um, all cold calling, yeah. 
And it was that that point where I realized, yeah, you know, the call center game was for me. So I, I, I got promoted in that company. I mean, I was a, a manager at probably 19 years old of around about 20 people. Um, and I got there because of my my skills. I, w- I was the number one salesperson within that company. I, I was unbelievable, unbelievably good. And they wanted to promote me and, and you know, transfer my skills onto, onto the other members of the team, which I did. And I did it very well for a long time. Always be closing, always be closing. And, always and, be closing. I, 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 and again, the upselling came out of that as well, because where one of the campaigns that we were doing for a company called Cordwell Communications was that you would call businesses and ask them to change their landline to, um, to, them, to them from BT or whichever supplier they were on at that moment. And then it was upselling. It was doing it for their home address, doing it for any other premises that they have and, and things like that. And that was my, where my upselling skills came in. Oh, yeah, we were number one. We did it for a long time. But then with my entrepreneurial side of things is that I thought to myself one day, oh, I'm making these guys too much money. Really? I need to do so. Yeah, I need to do something myself here. And, I mean, and it was that point. Calling, you're truly originating the business. Like, who are you? Who are you cold calling? Is this out of just like a like a list of general consumers? Out of a list. Out of a list. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a book here in the UK called The Yellow Pages. It doesn't exist anymore because everything's online. But it's The Yellow Pages. So it's a book about this thick with all the businesses in the UK. So um, all in alphabetical order as well. So that's how we would do it. We would uh, ring through there and highlight the ones we've called, cross the ones, okay, great deal, bam, 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 and create our own data. That's how we did it. Wait, when you, um, like you were at the car wash and then you decided I need to be in sales. Is that because you kind of pulled that from when you were younger working for your dad? Or did you have some friends that were doing sales and you're like, oh, these guys are killing it. Like, what, what? What made you think of sales? Like, I didn't even know about sales when I was a kid. I didn't know that was a thing. And what, how did you hustle. know that was a thing? It was the hustle and bustle. It's the negotiation side of things. You know, you know, when you're talking to communicating with someone, it's a challenge, isn't it? You're challenging yourself. You're, you've got someone here now. They want to go ahead. They want to do a deal. But it's how do you get the most out of this deal? And it was that type of thing which, which really, which I really missed washing cars. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, washing. I only did, you know, I only did it for around about two months before I was fired, and I just did that because it was it was something to do, wasn't it? But for me, it was it was the hustle and bustle, Nick. It was being able to go out there and communicate with someone and and like i said they have a need you have a solution and it's being able to provide that and make some money at the on the back of it that that's a big thing that people i think uh, misunderstand about sales that you know you're just you're just convincing people or promoting a product where what you're doing is you know you have someone that has a need you have the solution for it and you're the one communicating that and making sure people can clearly understand, you know, why your service is beneficial for them. P.S. how did you get from working at a call center to owning your own company? When did you make that, that move and how did it happen? So it happened. So I was in this company for maybe four years, maybe a bit longer than that. Um, and I had progressed through the ranks. I mean, they had a site director and then they had, um, I, I was actually the lead sales manager of that, of that business. Um, so I had maybe 200 staff that I was responsible for at one point. And that's when I realized, you know, you know, I'm good. I'm good at this. But I, I, I need to do something myself here. And also, you know, I was getting, you know, family who were saying to me, what are you doing? Go and do something yourself, you know, because I have my uncles and my father and other people around me were entrepreneurs as well. And they were saying, you know, why are you wasting your time making somebody else money when you can do this yourself? So I did that. I left. I handed in my notice and I went and set up a call center 
with six guys. Yeah, six guys, guys that I had worked with in the past and also guys that are currently working for me within this company. And they came on board with me and um, we started selling mobile phone contracts because that was the connection that I had. I had a good um, source that we could sell for. And that's exactly what we did. We had the data, we had everything that we needed. I had all the contacts. Then come 2009, so I was running that business for a good couple of years and then and we were doing well. And we were, I was growing. I was growing. So from six, I went to around about say 14 people and I could see the business was going in the right direction. Then what happened in 2009, the recession. So when we were doing mobile phone contracts, you would get say eight, 80% acceptance rate from a submission to, to being accepted by the network and then them issuing a device and things like that. And that went to as low as 12% in the recession. People were failing the credit check. So the business was dead at that point, Nick. It was uh, unsustainable. Um, and the company that we were selling for went into liquidation as well, owing me a lot of money. And I was in a situation where I was like, damn, what am I gonna do now? And the business was dead. So I was trying to find other products that I could do and things like that. But with the recession, nobody was outsourcing any campaigns. And I was, I was a little bit defeated at that point. And I was like, I really had to sit down and, and reevaluate. So I took, a, I took a month out, so I closed the business. Everyone was redundant. And I just used that month to reflect and, and try and figure something out. Then, so I'd been used to being my own boss now and, you know, working on my own time schedule and whatnot. And it came to a friend of mine called me and I had not spoken to for a while. And he was working within this company um, that wasn't that far from where, where I was that helped people with debt, a debt management company. And he said, they've got loads of jobs here. Why don't you just get a job with me? Um, so I thought to myself, right, working for somebody else again. So I had to really swallow my pride. Oh man, swallow my ego, and I thought, you know what, I need to get a job. I need to get a job. I need to do something here because I can't just hope for the best. And 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 with this recession, there's people in debt. Hang on, let me just go and find out what this is about. What is this industry, this debt management industry? It was, I was clueless to it. So I went in there got, and got the job as a manager. I didn't have to go on the phones. I, I was a manager. So I had a team of, of, of 10 people. And, and again, I smashed it. I smashed it. Um, I, I learned the trade within that company. I was there for three and a half years and it came to a point where I progressed that much in the company. I was exposed to the, apologies there, someone was no, calling me. Good. Yeah, so I, I was exposed to the whole business model of the company. Um, I understood how that business worked and how you would make money in that business, all the intricate detail. And then when I was ready, I was ready and I decided to then go and set up a loan. So during that whole process of me setting up a loan and, and this industry is quite, you know, there's a lot of gossip that goes on in there and, and word got around that Fiaz Ashraf is, is looking to set up a loan, uh, sorry, uh, set up a loan. So I then got a call from somebody um, that was in the industry. He had a small business. He called me and he asked me, he goes, look, do you fancy collaborating here and getting on board? I've got the license. I, I'm doing business. This is something which, I, you know, which I, I'd love to get you on board on. So he was actually based in London, which is a good, I would say, three hours away from where, where I live. From Manchester. So I, from Manchester, yeah. So I went to London. And he gave me an offer, really, which I, I couldn't refuse, uh, with minimal investment required. 
and he had an operating business that was making a profit. Obviously, when I got on, uh, on board, but part of the deal was is that I would, I would eventually move the branch or create a new branch in Manchester. So I actually went to London and I, I lived there for probably two months in a hotel. And it was at that point where I realized and, and I said to him, I go, look, you know, there's only so much that we can we can do in London because my contacts are limited to Manchester. And in order to grow, because one of the biggest issues there was the staff and getting experienced staff and people that knew what they were doing and and being able to grow the business, we were limited there. But Manchester, I mean, in the UK, Manchester is known as it. There's a debt management, well, there was a debt management company on every corner in Manchester. Really? So getting the staff was never an issue, you know, experienced staff. So um, I convinced him to, to set up in Manchester. And, and during that whole process, I mean, I grew a massive business um, with my business partner at the time. And we grew the business to a, to a level where we ended up selling it in 2014. Now, during that sale, um, I orchestrated the whole sale. I, I did it. We sold it just for just under two million pounds. I think it's around about two point eight million dollars over there. And I got a small cut out of that um, due to my you know small shareholder um, my shares within that company. So when he sold his business, it was uh, he wanted to exit. He got his money out. He was happy. He did what he needed to do. And then I was again in the position where I needed to do something because he decided to sell. And here we are again. But I had the, I had the infrastructure at that point. So I decided to keep the staff. And and build my business from there really that's how we started that's phenomenal that's a mm. that's a phenomenal journey it do you think that it's interesting you know there's kind of a this kind of a common uh, common thing i'm seeing with the the the, the vast majority of successful self-employed people and business owners where they've started from sales and eventually you know, they're the visionary, they're the salesman, they're the promoter, and eventually they end up creating their own company. And that vision and, and that, that sales energy continues on is what kind of inspires and energizes the, the team. Um, do you think that's a necessary for the majority of entrepreneurs? Like if, if you're looking to start your own business, you know, do you, do you think it's almost mandatory, go ahead and learn sales or go, go discover how to do it right? before you start your organization, is it, is it necessary? If you're going to go and become a doctor, you have to go to university and, and learn medicine. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the techniques and what you need to do and, and whatnot. Sales is exactly the same. You need a training ground. And if you're going to get into, into something within from a... I would suppose any industry, it doesn't have to necessarily be sales, but everything needs to be, you need to be taught, you need to learn it, experience it, feel it, breathe it, bleed it. And then at that point, once you've caught that in you, then you can go ahead and, and do your thing. For me, if I was to go and set up a restaurant today, I wouldn't know where to start. So if I wanted to go and set up, it's, it's funny, we're talking, I've gone into a restaurant because I've been asked to invest in a restaurant in Manchester and I didn't, don't know nothing about restaurants. So I've agreed to him. I've agreed that, look, I will invest, but I need to come and learn your business first. So I booked in 30 days um, when the lockdown opens here and, he's, and, and, he, and his business is open. I'm actually going to go in the restaurant and, and try and understand the business. And really? The, the, the management, because in the kitchen is scientific management involved. I mean, time management is essential and to there's lots of little intricates um so i need to go in there and understand that business before i get involved in it and he's up for that and so so, so my point in mentioning that is very important is to have some sort of training ground and understand what you're getting into what are some of the resources you had along the way uh, along the way that that allow you to sharpen your skills i mean you didn't have a professor per se um, you know, growing up in sales, but 
you know, did you, did you take courses? Did you have great sales management early on? Like what were some of the resources that helped you that maybe some younger guys coming up in, in sales that they're not yet entrepreneurs, but they're in, in a, in a sense, entrepreneurs inside of someone's business. But what are some of those resources that, that could possibly help them that you've used? I have, well, look, it's all experience. And I, I was, I was blessed to have such a fantastic, um, manager uh, when I went and got that job in the first call center sell, selling the energy and the, and, the, and the telephone lines and I learned a lot from him so I was able to understand you know that was my mentor he was my mentor education wise I would have known it because I believe that experience is the biggest educator and being on the ground and shoved straight in and, and learning something that way is the best is better than learning something from a book. Um, yeah, I do read books. I, I do try and um, take things and, uh, and learn things in my, in my later years now, but from an educational perspective, for me, it was all, it was all about experience and, uh, and firsthand experience, not learning from somebody else. It's interesting. The, uh, the the idea of an apprentice is you know throughout history it's how people learn businesses they went in as a very young person they shadowed someone that was the successful shoot maker the success the successful carpenter yeah. you did this from yeah. a very young age and you came up and you had these skills you didn't need to go to a classroom with a hundred of your closest friends watching yeah. someone on a chalkboard attempt to teach you these specific skills. Yeah. And I think that goes, uh, I, I think that um, that falls into what you're saying. And, and, you know, if you're a younger person listening to this, realize Fiat didn't go to a sales school. He did apprentice from a very young age with his father. He then went and got a job in a sales company. He apprenticed there, um, whether it was formally an apprentice program or not, that's really what happened. So there yeah. is no replacement for being an apprentice, actually doing it, kind of swallowing your pride, making the mistakes, taking the bumps mm -hmm. and bruises, taking the hits and actually doing the work, you know, learning from it yeah. and, and progressing. And I think we need to do a little bit more of that. I think one of the things that really is important for, especially if you're young and you're coming up in the, in, you know, for our age didn't grow up with as much social media, but these younger people, they assume I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to go ahead and kill it the first day. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you've got, you've got toys, you've got shiny stuff. You and I talk cars all the time, right? And um, yeah. people assume you're going to wake up and get a, a green Lamborghini the next day because you're posting on Instagram. Uh, yeah. But, but that's, that's not at all. That's not at all the case. Like it, it's, it's going to take time. Um, tell me a little bit about some of your passions lately, because I know you've got some cool stuff going on from, from, you know, things, the things that go vroom all the way to things that, you know, things that fly. What have you been up to in terms of hobbies? So, um, I mean, cars are one of my biggest passion, as you know, Nick. Shocker. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and cars um see when i was growing up see this is a, a something else for, for the younger generation to try and uh, and enhance and i'm sure people can relate to this you have a goal you have something that you see and you think you know what one day i'm gonna have one of them what was yours uh it was a lamborghini it was a lamborghini particular color so well, any color. I wasn't bothered about the color. I just wanted one of them Lamborghinis. Um, so, yeah, so I'll tell you a bit of the story. So when I was growing up, this was a dream, dream of ours and uh, of mine and uh, a good friend of mine. And we used to say, you know, one day we're going to have a Lamborghini. He goes, no, I want a Ferrari. I go, no, no, Lamborghini, Lamborghini. Anyway, so there was a, a, a Lamborghini car showroom in Manchester, and I must have been about 19 at the time. And 
we had this big bright idea that we're going to go to Lamborghini and try and test drive one of these cars. <laughs> <laughs> so, but obviously we needed to go there and start looking the part. So I ended up, I had this suit, which was too big for me. It's a cheap suit. And, uh, and he did the same. I think he had his dad's blazer on actually. So it was swimming on him. And, <laughs> um, and we went to this uh, to the showroom. So we were in there and we're looking at the cars and we're trying to act all, you know, stush and, you know, like we had some, we had money and we were ready to buy and things like that. And my, how we, so what happened was a friend of, of my, my friend that was with me at the time, he goes, yeah, I need to trade in um, my Porsche. And he goes, right, okay, Baba, this is, you know, before we, we were getting to the point, yeah, we, look, we want to test it before we drive it. So he goes, okay, what's the license plate number? So he gave his license plate number. Now he had one of those Fiat Pandas, which we'd parked around the corner, by the way. Yeah, one of, one so of we the worst Fiats ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he gave his Fiat Pandas registration number. So we, we actually parked that like, literally like, maybe a quarter of a mile down the road, so they didn't see us coming out of that, you know. And um, so the guy's gone on his computer and he's putting the information on the computer. He goes, this is a Fiat Panda. He goes, oh. he goes, no, I've uh, I've transferred that number plate onto my Porsche. That was, he goes, well, this isn't a cherished number plate, so you can't transfer that number plate onto here. So he sussed us out for, for bullshitting, really. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he said, look, you know, you know, lads, no, nice try, but, you know, see you later. <laughs> so so we walked out and I said, why did you give him that number plate? This, that, the other, you messed it up. We were nearly there and, uh, and whatnot. So do you know what, Nick? Maybe it was 10 years after that. I went to buy my first Lamborghini and I walked into that dealership. And do you know who was there? That oh, same guy. You're kidding. That same guy. Holy fuck. 10 years later, Holy he was there. Smokes. He didn't, he obviously, he, he wouldn't have recognized me and, he, and I didn't expect him to. But I did remind him. I did tell him after I did the deal. And uh, I went and bought my Lamborghini Huracan from him and and then I reminded him and I, he, he couldn't remember because he, he said look I've had loads of chances over the years coming in and trying to bank, bank a, a test drive and things like that but yeah so uh, so yeah so that was a massive sense of achievement I mean when I walked out of that place with my friend in, in my younger days I was like you know one day I'm going to go back in there I'm going to show it I'm going to buy one of these Lamborghinis I'm going to have one um, you know, and it was stuff like that. It was rejections like that that really drove me to my goals. My goals were always there. Nothing was ever going to stop me from getting a Lamborghini. Okay, it took me a long time to get to that point, but the goal was there, and that was uh, that was me. So yeah. So in regards to hobbies, Nick, I mean cars, you know, and, and having my cars and. I, I, before the lockdown, uh, you know, a good pal of mine, we drive to Germany uh, from Manchester, which was about 13, 14 hours to get there. But in Germany, there's an autobahn. And the autobahn, there's no speed limits. So that's the only place in Europe that we can go on the road oh, and no. just get the most out of your cars, yeah. So we religiously went there one, twice a year um, to go and, uh, and open them up. That's, so that's one of my hobbies. That's a fun, that's a fun, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. I have a similar story about, um, about a BMW M3 when I was a kid. It's a similar story. I'll, I'll share with you another day, but same <laughs> type of thing. Like, wait a second, you're not going to let me test drive it. I'm 18 years old. Don't you know I'm going to be successful? Don't you? <laughs> you know, it, it's funny when you're. Did it drive you though, Nick? It drove, did it drive you? Did it give you that like energy? Like, you know what? I'm going to show him. That guy was on my kill list. He was on my yeah. kill list of, I wanted to, I bought, I, I ended up buying the car later. I mean, a decade, literally similar to you. I bought it about a decade later. And I remember going to the yeah. dealership and just poking around. The guy was still there. And I wanted yeah. to tell him, hey, remember when you didn't let me test drive that car? What about a dozen of these by now, if you let me? Yeah. <laughs> but, 
I guess when you're young, your ego, you know, it, it could be used as fuel. Re rejection is something you, you mentioned this earlier. Rejection. Um, I had a friend uh, a couple of weeks ago. His, his son is an amazing athlete. And uh, this guy is really, he's just got a lot of wisdom. He's just a really sharp guy. And his son is an amazing hockey player. And he was asked, um, he was asked to get recruited. And actually the, the, the coach of the other team said, hey, I'll, I'll even pay your kid to be on the team. Yeah. Um, we won't lose. If your kid's on the team with the rest of these kids I'm recruiting and paying, we'll never lose. And this buddy of mine said, absolutely not. I don't want him being on a team that's, only going to win and he's like what do you mean what, what's what's better than just winning he said he's 13 years old i need him to lose right yeah. now i need him to be told you didn't do it yeah. he goes because when he's 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 if he can't take rejection then what's going to happen to him we need to train these younger people to get rejected and being able to come back from it um obviously they don't need to live in the gutter forever but they need to be taught these skills and i don't think we can just tell the the younger people or the kids how to bounce back. I think they need to, like you said earlier, experience it. Um, and it's interesting. You got to experience it. And that bounce back has been pretty incredible. Diaz, you know, we, I love going back in time. That's, that's my favorite part. I think I could do this all day, but let's talk about the future. You've been doing some really cool stuff, like expanding into new markets. What are you excited about for the future of your company and about your entrepreneurial journey? What's next on the agenda? What are you conquering? Okay, so at the moment, Nick, um, there's, I've got a good probably two top projects on at the moment. I'm going into Canada at the moment, as you know. Um, we've had a lot of red tape to get through, but we're there now. And my objective is to is to bring my knowledge of the sector I'm in here in the UK and take it over there. Canada is, is there's massive opportunities in Canada to do business and, and the welcoming businesses as well. Um, so yeah, Canada. But the most the the most exciting element to my business at the moment, and it actually gives me goosebumps, is my new company called iBanco. Now, what iBanco is is an online e-account. So what it does is it allows people to the normal what you would have from your high street bank, which allows you to, you know, make your payments, direct debits, standing orders, what you would use for your normal bank. This is the new product that we've developed, which is an e-account. So what this e-account will allow people to do is also improve their credit rating. So um, they pay, pay a small subscription each month. They use this card as their daily banking facility. Um, and every month it will send positive markers to their credit file, which is like a credit builder sort of account, which is something which is unheard of over here in the UK. And, uh, and, and, the pay, uh, uh, and my business partner, he is heavily um, experienced within that sector and also within the loans market as well as allowed us with his connections with some of the credit providers, um, the credit check providers uh, has allowed us to have that facility in order to send positive and negative markers to someone's credit file. So, so having that there is, a, is unique and that is the biggest experience um, that I've learned in the recent months is how to get it to a level well, I mean, we, we believe that the company is currently valued at around about anywhere between seven to 10 million pounds at the moment. And that's not even having one client on it. And that's just based on technology. Um, we think that we'll have 10 to 15,000 clients in there within the first six to 12 months. And so it, it's something which, you know, we're, we're very excited about at the moment. And hopefully it gives me the retirement fund. I'll yeah, tell you, so, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's, that's an interesting product and much needed because there's, you know, even here in the United States, in Canada, the idea that, that you're credible, you know, it only means when you're paying back debt, but there are people that want to avoid debt. They, they, and they're truly credible, you know, they're making payments on things constantly, but they're not getting the credit for it unless they're, unless they're borrowing 
big bucks. Um, I think that product in, in, in this subscription is going to be so absolutely massive. I, I could place, uh, I'd, I'd place a massive bet on this be, being something that hits the United States as well at some point and, and becomes absolutely a game changer because there are millions of people right now that aren't getting the credit that they deserve because they're just doing the right thing and avoiding, avoiding debt. Exactly. And it's a, it's a darn, it's a darn shame. Makes no sense as well. They're not credible. But that's exactly, that's exactly um, one of the benefits of this, of this account, because what happens is, is that when you apply for, I don't know, mortgage or, or any sort of loan or credit card or finance, what they do is they check to see what your credit history is like. Now, if you don't have any sort of credit report because you've never had credit, then that actually affects you negatively, uh, which is madness, really, to be honest with you. I think there needs to be other checks in place uh, to check affordability and, and if someone is creditworthy, i.e. pay slips and things like that. So what iBanco will do is it will send those positives because the what, what credit facilities are looking at is, is your credit fail, file active and is it up to date? What iBanco will do, it will ensure that your credit file is active and it is up to date. So logic and using math and, and things like that will gives us the, um, the confidence to be able to go in there and say, look, you don't have to go and get a credit card on a high interest rate. You don't have to go on anything like this. Just use iBanco and iBanco will do what you need it to do in order to go and get your mortgage later on or your, um, your car finance or whatever you need credit for. Yes, when do you think it's going to be available for the for the public to access? In the UK, we're hoping that it will be available by the end of May. Uh, we're just finishing off our app, um, which will be available on Apple and Android um, and other devices. So by the end of May, it will be ready. Phenomenal. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm going to send you off here with kind of a... A little tricky question, but let's see if, uh, if if you can answer it. So if you could step into my shoes, uh, what would you have asked yourself today that I didn't? You're very good, Nick. I think you asked all the relevant questions. I mean, for me, it's all about working hard, you know, get up early in the morning, you know, the early bird catches the worm, um, have goals in life, focus on those goals do whatever you can morally to get there um never give up never take no for an answer if you believe in something go and get it treat people good and fair around you stay humble stay focused and um and karma karma is important treat people the way you want to be treated and you know you will attract positivity I'm sure. Phenomenal. Yes, I I love this interview. I love doing business with you. I don't consider you just a colleague, but I consider you a friend. Um, nice I always also. pick up uh, just so much value from our conversations. And I love what you said early on in the conversation about having your morals above anything and everything. And it goes to show, guys, I, I've, I've done business with Fias, And it's one thing that I can truly say that his North Star is his North Star and he doesn't budge from it. And it's an incredible thing. It's more common than not for some of you that are coming to the business world and you think every business owner, these CEOs, you know, and you come at it in a cynical way. I could tell you the more and more, more and more I discover, meet and, and kind of extract the habits and the priorities of successful people you'll find that their moral compass is very high. They care about providing value. A guy like Fiaz, you know, wants to get his hands dirty and understanding a business. Um, and I, I think that's incredible. There's, there's actually a story I want to share before we jump off. Um, the, the, the owner, it might be the previous owner of the Washington Bullets, okay? Um, he finds out that Michael Jordan is going to be playing... Uh, playing a game. No, actually, I'm, I take it back. He finds out that uh, Barack Obama is going to be visiting um, his arena, okay? But he finds out that there have been complaints 
that his bathrooms were very dirty. It was, it was a big problem at the arena. And now he thinks, oh man, the president of the United States is going to come and watch a game here. Imagine if the guy's got to use a bathroom, we're going to be ridiculed here. This is, this is embarrassing. So this owner, th this is not even a coach. This is not a manager. This is not a facilities manager, which is a higher position in the NBA. This is the actual owner of the organization decides to take a few days off from his administrative work. He puts on a janitor's uniform, puts on a rubber gloves, and he goes with his cleaning group, bathroom to bathroom to bathroom, and he cleans bathrooms. It was not a publicity stunt. People found out about it. There were no cameras. Nobody followed him. He truly wanted to find out what was going on with the poem. He got his hands dirty, and this guy's one of the most successful. You know, he's he's a he's a top top entrepreneur on another level, but he was willing to go to that point and and clean. Yeah. And, and do those things. And I think it's interesting you mentioned earlier with the restaurant, and if I'm gonna get into this, I wanna find out what goes into this business. I'm gonna come and take 30 mm -hmm. days and work there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a young entrepreneur, guys, you don't start out as the CEO. You start out as the CEO, the janitor, the sales guy, the ops guy, the CFO, mm -hmm. and every acronym. In fact, I'd actually suggest that you don't call yourself the CEO when you start out your business. Call yourself the owner. You know, yeah. you take responsibility for everything. You own every good, every bad as well. Um, so I'll leave you listeners with that. Fies, where can our listeners reach out or, or contact you? And, and more importantly, how can they find out about iBanco? Where would they be able to access this? Well, I, um, I'm not heavy on social media at all. Um, but I have, I, I do have a LinkedIn profile, which is under Fiaz A. Um, so anyone, anybody can reach me on that. Ibanco is ibanco.co.uk, but ibanco with a C, because Mastercard said we couldn't have a K, okay. so <laughs> because it's too much like bank. <laughs> Crazy, but but it is what it is. And yeah, you can reach me on there. I'm happy to, you know, help anybody out. Any questions or anyone just looking for any advice and things like that, then absolutely, please, you know, for Nick, for Nick's listeners, I'll do that for you guys. Definitely. Awesome. Guys, take advantage of that. Fiaz is a great resource and a genuinely amazing guy. LinkedIn, Fiaz A. If you can't find him, hit me up. I'll send you, I'll send you his profile, but he's a great guy to network with and be connected with more than anything. Fiat, thanks for but being Nick, the there is what there is one thing before you go, which is yeah. rattling around my mind and and it's something you've you've opened my mind. And I think I could sit here for hours with you now, but I I, I know we've both got things to do. But one thing I would say is is that, and this is what experience and life experience, and I've been criticized on this in the past as well, is being too generous and being um I'm not talking about charity. Charity is very important and, and giving to the needy. This is something which I do religiously. Um, but what I'm talking about is the people around you within your organization. Be fair to them. Um, the money has to circulate. Everybody has to get paid well. If they're not paid well, then you know what they're going to do? They're just going to go and sell. If they've got that entrepreneurial spirit, they're going to go away and become your competitor later on down the line. So ensure your people and your core people, your key people around you are very well paid and shares in the company. And they are um, incentivized based on the growth of your company. And as long as you have these things in place, they will never go anywhere. They will stay by your side and together you will be stronger. Very hard to find the right people around you. And when you do, you hold on to them with dear life and and do what's right do you like i said the money has to circulate there's no point in you getting rich and everyone else is just they're not um, taking their their finances to the next level sure everyone takes their finances to the next level great and that point. way you've got a good core strong team and you can make a business i love that every everybody's winning imagine you're at the celebration party by yourself exactly Exactly, exactly. Everybody has to be winning. Everyone has to be winning. Guys, that's what we're sending you off with today. Everybody has to be yeah. winning. Take a look at your organization yeah. right now. Do you have winners and losers? You might want to rethink how you're doing business. 
You might want to rethink how you're paying people, how you're approaching your HR, the whole thing. Create winners along the way, the customers, the team, you. Yeah. I love it. Well, Fiaz, you're fantastic, man. Thanks for being on the show. Thank this you. was a lot of Thanks. fun, brother. Thanks for having me, Nick. Anytime, my friend. All right, brother. We'll send you off. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye now.